Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we ask the question, do you need an exit plan? Ooh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> yeah, we've been thinking about this one for a couple of weeks now. And yeah. Yeah, so this ought to be fun. I Personally, I've had a, uh, I wouldn't say a change of heart about this question in the last couple of years, but a, a more nuanced feeling about this than I had at one time. So, me, Oh, me, I, me, want, I want to hear about that. Mm, yeah, so maybe younger listeners, younger than me, will be be kind of like old me and maybe... Uh, this might be interesting. But yeah, so my quick story on that is I, you know, I've been working for myself for a long time and intend, fully intend to die with my boots on. I I have no plan whatsoever to retire. I, half the time I feel like I already am retired. Uh, <laughs> whatever retirement means, I don't, it's never been interesting to me at all. It's not like I'm an NBA player and I've got a really short career length you know, just because for physical reasons. Mm-hmm. So as long as my brain's still working, I intend to keep working because to me, it's like, I don't know, it's fun. But that was so that was my sort of die with my boots on kind of attitude, which I still have, but it's it's more nuanced, as I as I said, uh, I interviewed John Warlow on Ditching Hourly a while back. And he I've interviewed him a couple of times, but but the first time he came on, uh, it was about a book called Built to Sell. And and the reason I had him on, even though I would never, I honestly couldn't have sold my old business, which is what we can talk about. Um, but I, I never wanted to sell my old business. And the reason, the, uh, but I did like the book. I recommended it to lots of people who, um, because it's a story about productizing uh, design services, which is te- which mm-hmm. is, can be a, um, it seems impossible to a lot of people. And the book does a really good job explaining how that it is very much possible. And if you do it, if you do it, if you follow the instructions in the book or basically his philosophy in general and and you don't sell, it's fine because what you're doing is creating a valuable business, mm-hmm. a business that would be valuable to mm-hmm. someone who bought it or if you don't sell it, valuable to you in a way that it probably isn't currently if you sell services, certainly if you go by the hour. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, interesting. So anything that you would do to make your business valuable to a buyer is going to create value for you as the owner. So, okay. So now I'm convinced that like I should have him on the show. So that's a good angle. And then when he was on, he was like, he was like, well, he's like, I understand that, you know, you have no intention of selling your business. And I work with lots of people who have said that to me in the past. He goes, but uh, three things happen that might change your mind about that. I said, okay, hit me. And he was like, first of all, health problems. Eventually, everybody's going to have health problems. And at, at that point, you know, you might want to have a more passive kind of situation. I was like, okay, fair point. But that's never going to happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so that was one. Another one is that someone offers to buy the business. And then and then it's like, huh, all right. Well, if someone is coming to me with a, a, a big check, like I would, I guess, be forced to consider it. If it was big enough, I'd be forced to consider it or at least like ask Erica, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Um, he said, but the third, the, and but neither of those seemed re- like like realistic or near-term things that I needed to think about. But then the third one was the one that got me, which is like, what if you have a better idea, something you'd rather do, a bigger yeah. idea? And I was like, oh, God, you got me. <laughs> because I Because even at that point, I had already done this like twice or three times where I had some kind of career or business or freelance income that I was that I was generating and then I would do, pivot. We've talked about this a million times on the show. 
I would p either do a half pivot to something bigger or, you know, more recently, a more complete full pivot to a whole new audience, but still in the same kind of space, but in a different way, like a meta way. And I was like, oh, you're right. I could see me doing that because I've done it before. Mm -hmm. And previously, uh, I had nothing to sell. There was no, I just closed yeah. it. Yeah. And that seems like, that seems a little bit like, um, you know, tragic is overstating it, but it's like, it's like a shame that, you know, like my mobile consulting business, right? Like mobile, mobile strategy consulting. It just like stopped taking on clients. I didn't sell it to anyone. I didn't, there was nothing to sell. It was just me. And then I had a bigger idea that I wanted to do. It was more exciting. It was a new S curve for me to climb to, you know, do pricing stuff and business coaching for, you know, folks who are having trouble with pricing. And I was like, ugh. so now, <laughs> now that I'm older and wiser, it's much more conscious to me what my next move is going to be. In the past, I've always I've always gone in these kind of like 10 year cycles where I climb up an S curve and I get bored of it by the end. And then mm -hmm. and then I'm like, OK, new thing. And I generally within the somewhere around the top of the S curve. When when I say S curve, I mean like the learning curve for whatever the space is that I, that I chose. One of my superpowers is that the new, you know, if you picture the Tarzan metaphor as I'm swinging on the on the vine and it sort of gets to its its apex, another vine just shows up in my hand. Yeah. Almost by magic. And it's usually not like I thought about it way ahead, but when I do grab the vine, I'm like, oh, this makes sense. There is some kind of a, a through line. There's some kind of narrative. There's a reason why it makes sense to swing to this new, bigger vine. And, uh, but it's usually been kind of, feel kind of last minute in the scheme of things. Um, not planned. Not way planned way ahead, but like mm -hmm. now, like I... Like, I feel like I know what I'm going to do in my 60s, and it's not what I'm doing now. It, it It's like a, there's a narrative, there's a through line, there's like a, a pivot. It's not a complete pivot, but it's it's definitely a different thing. It would be a different daily activities, let's put it like that. Mm -hmm. You know, laying the groundwork for that now. It'll be eight years probably, or if I ever do it, maybe I won't. You know, who knows if I'll even make it to 60 or whatever. But it's kind of like much, much more conscious now and much more... Planned isn't really the right word. It's more like I've got this idea and then so it sort of sets this background process in my brain with like percolating on on how to do things. And and if and when that day comes, I don't want to just shut down my old business like I did the past two or three times. Right. You know, so what is so so you know, John, if you're listening, <laughs> you finally <laughs> have convinced me that okay, like this makes sense to plan out and say like, all right, what well, what would that look like? And it doesn't have to look like what we traditionally think of as a business sale. There's oh, I don't, a lot yeah. Of, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of other ways. And that's why I wanted to talk about this subject so mm -hmm. much. Yeah. yeah. I don't, yeah, well, I don't see mine resulting in a sale, honestly, but well, let's talk about it though. Well, yeah, because I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll parallel um, my story to yours, which is a little different. So when I started my first consulting firm, I had a co-founder. Mm -hmm. And we planned our exit strategy before we left our jobs. Nice. And but the reason we did it, which I think was really fair, and it, and we did it actually at his urging. He was twenty plus years older than me, so he wasn't going to do it as long as I was, no matter you know how successful it was. And so we taught we we spent a lot of time talking about it because we wanted to be in sync as partners so that we would both know when the right time was. And 
our plan, which ultimately changed, our plan was we, you know, we started in Chicago and we were going to grow something really solid there. And then we imagined now this, remember, this was in the nineties. So the virtual thing wasn't as common then. So what we decided to do is we would grow and serve the Midwest from Chicago because you could get on a plane. Right. And then as we develop, we would find partners to grow offices in other important cities, whether that was New York, L.A., San Francisco, Atlanta. You know, we didn't really know. We just said that's what we want to do. And long term, we want to sell and we'll probably sell to our partners. Right. Versus an outside sale. And so we built the firm with that exit strategy in mind. Mm. And we were we were always trying to build value. Now, did we do that? No, (laughs) because what happened was that the first thing that happened was we realized that we could serve. We really could serve nationally if we wanted to. We were not going to fly to San Francisco to take a new business meeting unless it was a very strong referral and we'd vetted it ahead of time. But we realized that we could serve it from from there. The other thing was that my needs changed. I felt like I would have to do more of the things I didn't like to keep growing it. In other words, I'd do less and less client-facing work and more and more just running a business. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do multiple things. So what we did is we decided at the right point, was six years in, we decided to sell. But we, mm-hmm. we made a deal. Everybody had to. We brought our people in as partners. So everybody got a piece of the deal. And we sold ourselves as an intact group moving to, uh, in this case, Arthur Anderson is who bought mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. So even though we had a plan... You know, we, we didn't go that route, but we were always focused on creating value. Mm, right. And when we, were, when we were thinking about this episode, I came across this quote from Winston Churchill that I just love. And you have to imagine Winston Churchill, you know, going through World War II and all the machinations he went through to, to come out of that more or less intact. And he said, it is a mistake to look too far ahead. Only one link in the chain of destiny can be handled at a time. <laughs> I, one link in the chain of destiny. I know. Can't you just hear the voice? But but the point was, I, I kind of felt like that's what we did. So so our link, our next link in the chain of destiny was okay. We want to sell at some point, mm-hmm. but that's as far as we took it. I never thought about well, what am I going to do afterwards? It was just that was just too far. We yeah. we could think one step ahead, and and that was it. But it 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 really informed how we grew and managed the business and how we hired employees. I mean, it really informed everything about the business. So I'm a big believer in thinking about your exit when you're starting. Mm -hmm. And chances are, whatever you dream about is is not going to be actually how you exit, but at least you've thought about it consciously. Right. Yeah. Like, like speaking of war quotes, it's like no plan survives contact with the enemy. Exactly. I find plans are useless, but planning indispensable. So yeah, having knowing that you are, especially with a partner, but but even if it's just for yourself, knowing that you'd like to create a business that is sellable. So like, you know, speaking to my younger Mm -hmm. self, creating a business that is sellable will, if you know you want to do that, then what it amounts to is that you're building value into the business instead of it just instead of it just being money that you make for yourself as the sole employee. Yes. So that, and that was a big mental shift for me. I, I mean, this, this is going back farther, but like the, the distinction between 
the money I made as an employee in a solo business and the money the business was making was completely lost on me for an embarrassingly long amount of time. Well, it's like the difference between a freelancer mindset and a business owner mindset. Correct. And that's what you're describing. Right. So with with whether you call yourself a freelancer or not, if you're acting like a freelancer where like the money coming in is basically your money and it's not it's not like the business is creating you're not creating any equity, I guess I think is the correct way to say it. Um, so it, it, the business is, like I said before, like my mobile strategy business, I had built no significant value into it, meaning like there was nothing to sell. I had no systems, really. I I just had uh, a series of behaviors that I would engage in and it, and and imagining that someone would buy it from me and step into those behaviors made no sense it's just like there's nothing there's nothing to buy there wasn't like a predictable lead flow there wasn't um like i said there were no systems there was no software or tooling and basically i just had a routine that made the employee jonathan stark the employee a really good living but once Jonathan Stark, the employee, stopped doing those activities, the money instantly disappeared. And, and that was even my experience. Like when I started after we had our second uh, and I stopped traveling to speak, which was basically my main marketing activity, the leads just like slowed down and dried up. And not completely, but to a point where it was like nerve wracking. It's like, geez, I hope I get some leads this month. <laughs> you know, like how come I'm not getting any leads? Like I didn't even connect those two things. So when it came time to pivot into something different, then it was like, I, there's just no, no option. It's just like, stop doing that stuff. So I was basically a freelancer in the, in the broad sense mm-hmm. that, you know, when I didn't work, I didn't get paid, even if I wasn't working hourly. So there was nothing to sell. I just had to shut it down. Yeah. And, you know, you think about it, there's, even if you don't sell, there are so many different options you can do if you have saleable assets. Yeah. So let's talk about that. I just have to, I just have to say this side note. We had the weirdest saleable asset when I sold my company because Anderson, they didn't even want the name. I I actually still own the name. Um, They wanted the people and the client list basically. Mm -hmm. And so I had bought this um, at that time, wildly unpopular office furniture that was a mid-century modern style. And I'd had some of it was upholstered furniture and I'd had it reupholstered in really cool fabrics. Um, We actually, we made money on on the the office furniture and I had, I think I had six rooms furnished. So I had desks, I had um, cabinets, I had giant tables, and I think we made something like four times our original investment on the furniture. So you just (laughs) never know what you're going to wind up being able to sell when it comes to that. Yeah. But uh, you'll probably get a lot more money for your intellectual capital than your furniture. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It was just one of those little side benefits I had to mention. Hmm. So if we imagine folks listening have some sort of, you know, authority style business, what sorts of things would support an exit? Well, I mean, let's talk about how you package your intellectual capital. Mm-hmm. I can give some other examples from you know client experiences, but um, it starts with that. What, what do you have and how do you sell it? So if you have a book, right? And mm-hmm. usually books are not a primary 
income stream, but not always. I mean, I've known people who sell books for four hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. And it's part of a training program, and so it absolutely is a revenue stream. Yep. So you start to look at what do you have that could potentially stand on its own. That's the starting point. Yep. I know, and just before we jump off of books, I know someone who's who wrote a textbook for a college-level course and makes about 200 grand a year just from that book. <laughs> that's that. That's the, the book lotto. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty rare, but it's not impossible. And it's certainly yeah. a way to package expertise. So that that's for sure. Absolutely. And maybe we should take a step back for a moment because really what we're talking about here is your business and revenue model. And the example that Jonathan was giving earlier is about really a freelance. You're, you're selling your time for money. Whether you value bill or you don't, you're selling, you're exchanging um, some some amount of your expertise for money it, where they're using your body, your, your mind. What we're talking about here is what else can you package, right? What else can you do to create a business versus simply swapping expertise for time or for money? Right. Well, and there's also, there's people talk about active revenue streams and passive revenue streams, but it's really more of a continuum, Mm -hmm. right? Because the active one is where, you know, you have to be actively engaged and doing something. But even a book, which is ultimately passive has an active phase i mean you have to write it (laughs) you have to market it and even when it's been out for a while if you want to keep sales going you're going to have to keep going on podcasts and doing interviews and it's it's again it's not the same Mm -hmm. um but it's not completely passive so when if you think about active to passive as a continuum maybe you look to have a point you know multiple points along that continuum Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's totally fair, right? So, for somebody like me, I don't imagine selling, but I do imagine really pushing pushing the the kind of lever between active and passive uh, more to the passive side of things, largely through automation, largely uh, since that's like a superpower of mine. It's a core competency. I can it's pretty straightforward for me to do without incurring much expense, uh, creating more automation, automating more things and, and favoring products and services that are more conducive to kind of like no touch sales. Mm -hmm. So more info products, more courses, more, you know, you could, I think somewhere in the middle there is like a community, you know, like you could have a community going where you're not engaged on a daily basis at after a certain point where you've got a moderator or two or three or deputized or I've seen other people mm-hmm. um, set up certification programs where you know people are certified in a particular framework and and they're they're you know anointed to stand in for you in a you know certain situations it's different than an employee though yeah, you, or you, you sell this idea of training and then you take a piece of the revenue. It's almost like a franchise, but not mm-hmm. exactly. Yep. You know, the other thing I was thinking of as you were talking is, um, and we use you as an example, is that I thought you were going to talk about writing the tale, right? Because if you suddenly just stopped, if you didn't do anything else, mm-hmm. there's a tale to the content you've already created. And we right. don't know how long it would be exactly, but it's probably right. good for at least a year. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. At least. And so it would probably start to drop off. It might not be as high as it once was, but you, you could probably get a three year tail. 
mm-hmm. out of just if you just kind of did the bare minimum so people know that you're still alive <laughs> and you know you're still funneling them because they have to be able to find you if they don't right. already know you right. so there's a piece of that so sometimes it's it's a matter of riding the tail mm-hmm. and I see a lot of people do that when they're close to retirement where they're kind of like they're not exactly you know going to flip the switch and go full-on classic old-school retiree but they want to kind of dial it back a little bit they start to think about what kinds of things do they want to leave behind they put more emphasis on content and products and perhaps training of some sort yep. and and they may ride the tail I, I've so far the longest I've seen somebody ride the tail is five years okay yeah, but it was there wasn't much at the end of the five years. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I'm aware of of so in in my orbit, certain names crop up from time to time, and I can think of a few of them where I don't know if the person's alive or dead. Like the brand is the person's name, and I, I don't know or care if the person's alive or dead. Like I don't know. Like the ideas are still out there. All the podcasts are still out there. The books are mm-hmm. still out there. The the mailing list automation is still there. So you can still like the the artifacts of the business are still there. Yes. And, you know, like we had that question on a guest we were considering. We weren't sure if he was still alive. Mm-hmm. Remember that? I don't want to say the name. Cause yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. Yes, I have a bad track record. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently cursing someone by doing exactly that. So. Right, but but in a in a scenario where your business basically revol- revolves around books you write that are primarily serving a marketing function, and then you either speak at conferences or you go around on podcasts, and the goal is to sell consulting services off the back of that awareness that you've created and the trust that you've created in the marketplace, and you don't have proprietary framework or proprietary process or you haven't created a Mm -hmm. bunch of ip or you know you just kind of like like attract clients who trust you and value your expertise they bring you in on a project and you're a genius for as long as they need you and then you leave and Mm -hmm. that was basically my model for the whole mobile strategy business i didn't create any ip yeah I, i wrote marketing books and i spoke at conferences and it was like um there was no art. There were no artifacts. There was like in yeah. all the majority of of intellectual firepower that I brought to bear was specific to client situations, and then I never, I never crystallized that into anything. Yeah, that's a classic consulting kind of thing, especially when it's on any kind of a hot topic, not just technology, really anything. Mm-hmm. Is that you're in crazy demand? It's like a whirlwind, and you almost can't imagine creating IP. Because you're so busy and you're so in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, cutting edge, yeah. Yeah, I, I worked with a, a pair of clients that had written a book. Well, actually, it was their second book together when I met them. They, it had just been published. They were deciding what to do. And they decided they wanted to create a business around the book. And so that's what I helped them with is creating the business. And, and we designed something that they christened parachute consulting because they didn't want to do these big projects. They wanted to come in for a day, two days tops mm-hmm. and do one thing and leave. And so they did that for about five or six years and they were already retired from their day jobs. So they were a little bit older 
And gradually, they just stopped doing the parachute consulting. So now they just, because they had the books and they kept writing books, they now have five books, um, they stayed in demand. And so they still do speaking. They don't do a lot, but they do some. And the revenue is from the books. And again, it's not a huge amount of revenue, but they consciously stepped away from their parachute consulting. They could still be doing that. So, okay, but if you if you could just wave a magic wand or if maybe they were more flexible or open to more ideas, what other things could you have built around that situation that would have been more durable in their absence? Well, I think an assessment. There, there could have been some kind of an assessment tool. Most of their clients were uh, kind of A-list big corporations that were in entertainment and media. Um, I think they could have created some kind of an assessment. They could have created a training program for other people to deliver inside those organizations. I mean, there's a lot they could have leveraged. They just didn't want to. Yep. I I think the training program is the one that would be the sweet spot for many people Mm -hmm. where you've got some sort of some sort of unique intellectual property. It's some sort of framework or process or like design sprints come to mind um, where where. This idea of a design sprint, if you're not familiar with it, there's a book called Sprint. It came out of Google Ventures and it's like it's like like validate ideas in five days and instead of instead of like launching quick and moving fast and breaking things and all that. Um, Anyway, it's an interesting concept. It's a it's a one approach to uh, innovative or product development or innovation. And they built a whole kind of ecosystem around it where I don't I think they do. I think you can become a certified design sprint practitioner or something like that. But, you know, they basically have the book and speaking model. But if they don't have some kind of certification program or training program or materials that you can buy, they could. Mm-hmm. And and then they could, yeah. you know, just sort of like uh, create other people who have a vested interest in the success of their own business, obviously, and therefore are going to be talking about your books. So if you've got this big community that like this word of mouth kind of reaches critical mass or escape velocity and then it, the idea kind of like spreads on its own because people just keep talking about it because it's that good. And there's a community of people who have kind of like uh, adopted that identity, you know, like mm-hmm. like people like us do things like this. And then then you've got a kind of got this potentially a longer tail at, at the very least where other people are marketing your your stuff for you. And it probably looks like books. It probably looks like info products. It probably looks like workshops and courses. It probably looks like uh, workbooks or assessments, like you said. And you can license that stuff. I've never done this. I haven't looked into it, but I, I know of people who do this, where you can kind of pay an annual fee to be a member of this kind of like community. Uh, let's say there was a design, an official design sprint community. You could pay to be a member of it, and it would allow you free access to like use all of the proprietary branded tools mm-hmm. that they have created, and it, just create this recurring income for yourself, where people have built a business on top of this idea. And there, you know, that's that that I think would really uh, increase the length and thickness of the tail. I don't know if that's the right the yeah. right way to talk about it, but. Well, I think I also want to throw out a couple of names if somebody wants to go and look at how some other people, some well-known public people have done this. Um, Brene Brown, mm-hmm. who got fame from her TED Talk on vulnerability, she has a, a process where she creates licensed, I don't 
can't remember if she calls them coaches, but they're mostly MSW, so a master of social work kinds of people. And she teaches her thing. So you pay to learn from her. Um, I think that there's some kind of a royalty fee. I, I don't remember the details, but if you look at her website and you dig into it, you will find that there. Another person who's done, I don't know the exact business model behind it, but she appears to make, make this, have made this work, is Susan Cain, right? The power of, is it the power of quiet, the, the <laughs> idea of introverts. And she created a website and she's got a ton of people that are writing that. She has a core group of consultants. I think that, I don't know if they still were in some kind of an old house in New York somewhere. (laughs) Um, But she's got this, what looks like a multi-layered model to take a single idea, Mm. a single idea. But she's taken that idea and she's got specialists that look at it in education. Mm -hmm. How do you teach introverted children? Are there, how should that have an impact on education in the workplace? How do you cater to introverts or how do you get the best out of introverts and not just design your organization and your work for extroverts? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's really fascinating stuff, but she's created a revenue model at the same time that she's got all these tentacles into (laughs) all these areas that touch her big idea. But if you if you say the name Susan Cain, anybody who's read the book will immediately say introverts, introverts. I've never yeah. heard of her, but now she's positioned in my head as that. Oh, you she's know. terrific. Well, she's the one that started. Now everybody talks about introverts. And, it, it, you know, with the um, the pandemic, mm-hmm. there was a lot of, there were a ton of articles about mm-hmm. how this is perfect for introverts to be um, getting away from people. But yeah. she's the one that started the movement and the whole conversation. And so she'll huh. stay in that presumably for as long as it continues to intrigue her. But she's created a viable business model with it. Right. That's the thing. It's the business model. Yeah. So like, so another example is uh, the story brand people, Don Miller, and they've pivoted now into something new. It's more like Netflix for business owners. But um but now, but but when it was just StoryBrand, that their their model was like, hey, here's this framework, uh, and we're gonna do these. The first, if I when I encountered it, they were doing these giant workshops in Nashville to teach people how to work, take their business through the StoryBrand framework to kind of basically to clarify their marketing message. Uh, but then they also started doing these workshops. I don't know if they came later or not on training StoryBrand certified guides and that i mean I, i'm familiar with some of the numbers behind that that was a big business and and usually and it's funny because i when i just brought this example up i was like wait is his name don miller that doesn't sound right because he is he certainly is prominent in the business and the, the new business that they're doing but he has purposely and very clearly brought in a couple of other empl- of his employees to become better known more he's trying to it's clear it seems clear to me and it seems like it's conscious to him that he's trying to create celebrities out of his two key employees and so that he doesn't have to show up to everything and people will trust these other people who he's kind of deputized well and just to make a point here that's the advantage of having a name on the door that is not yours sure Mm -hmm. story brand is a great it's a great name it's a great name for a business it's a great concept but it doesn't have to be inextricably attached to a person's name Right. And like when I when I when I brought that example up, I almost said what I usually say, which is the story brand people have figured Mm -hmm. this out, you know, but Mm -hmm. it was originally this one guy. He wrote the book 
Um, you know, but it, it's not. It, and if your name is over the door, it doesn't mean you can't do this. Like McKinsey was a person. Gartner was a person. You know, you mm-hmm. can still create a business model underneath your own name that that sort of outlives you or scales beyond just you. Yeah. And it doesn't. And the other thing, just for my introverts in the audience, other lone wolves like me, it doesn't mean you have to hire a bunch of employees either. You could create a movement where the the kind of people in the audience just automatically talk about you, like word of mouth is built in, or you've got this sort of sort of like half. It's not an employee, but it's almost like a franchise model, like the Story Brand Certified Guides. Um, Alan Weiss did this for a while. I don't know if he still does it, where he had like certified trainers, and you know you had to like periodically re up your certifications. So it creates this recurring revenue thing. Mike McCallowitz and the Pumpkin Plan, they've got like a, an annual membership thing that, you know, gives you all these community benefits, but also um, the right to freely use their tools, as I understand it. I'm not in it, but uh, so, yeah, these are so these are the kinds of things that that can continue to make you money without you showing up all the time or or at all, theoretically, like like yeah. any one of these people could just disappear and go live on a desert island and that that long tail would be really long and you know i don't know what their cost structure is that's something to consider but you know generally if you just wanted to be a solo person even if it's your name over the door there are pretty straightforward proven paths to creating artifacts of of turning your expertise into some kind of packaged artifact that can continue to sell without your direct involvement Mm mm-hmm yeah, I'm thinking of a, a client of mine who's got a really long-term plan. And when I say really long-term, I mean like 10 years, which now feels like, you know, a dinosaur age. <laughs> um, but so he has a firm and it's a firm with maybe a 10, 11 people. Mm-hmm. And he has this new thing that's really intrigued him. Sound familiar? And so he wants to extricate himself from this business, but he doesn't want to do it too fast. It is not his name on the door. But mm-hmm. it is a name that it, he is the one that is has been the public face of this organization. And he's the one that does the writing and the publishing. He's the authority. He's the one that is the primary business developer. So mm-hmm. what he's been doing, and it's actually been longer than 10 years, is as he brings new people into the firm, he's always looking like, who's the one who could be my partner at some yep. point and take this over and he was pretty sure he'd found the one maybe five or six years ago and he believes he's found the right one and that person is now a, a junior partner mm-hmm. and so he's going through I wouldn't call it a training period so much as an adjustment period for the two of them as the my client starts to exit a tiny tiny bit from the business and there's been no discussion with clients other than the fact that you know he has this new partner but he's he's taken the long road to creating the conditions so he can exit but still have a healthy revenue stream he doesn't intend to let go of his ownership of this he just wants to get out of the day-to-day yeah it's the drug pirate roberts model like the succession plan where you know you just you groom a mini you Mm-hmm. to take over and yeah i mean and we shouldn't i, I feel like i i have a tendency to gloss over what is perhaps the more obvious path which is just create a traditional business where you've got employees and procedures and and you just like the the, the i think this kind of old i would consider it old school at this point but like the legacy model of just creating a firm and and figuring out you know like derek sivers tells a story about when he was running cd baby that anytime somebody asked him a question, like at a certain point, 
he was like, anytime somebody asked him a question, he, he wanted to remove himself as a bottleneck because he recognized that he had become a really big bottleneck. He had like 80 something employees. It was getting ridiculous. Uh, he was a slave to the business, wanted to get out. And, and so every time someone asked him a question, instead of just answering it, he trained them how to answer it themselves. And he did this for, I don't know, six weeks or something. And eventually all the, everybody was able to solve their own problems. And he like just took off <laughs> for yeah. like months, just disappeared. Yeah, Exactly. Right. So of course you can do that, but I feel like I feel like I don't give that much attention because it just seems kind of obvious. Like to me that's the obvious path. Oh, that's but how the, most but that's, people scale that's the up. thing. It's like I don't think it's obvious anymore. It, it's obvious that you can create a business and leverage with employees, but I think that an awful lot of people until they hit their maybe mid to late fifties don't think about what's gonna happen. Like mm. they literally don't think about it. And right. so they yeah, that may was not me. Have yeah, they may not have created, but I'm talking about people who've gone the, what you would call the conventional path of oh. creating a business where they have employees. And it's mm-hmm. the, the difference. I mean, I've, I've, I've been in both places. And to me, the difference in having employees is that you have a different level of responsibility to the people. So you tend to develop procedures and you tend to develop certain ways of working and and a culture and values and all those. So you could argue that the system almost requires you to think about exiting, but most people Mm. don't. They don't think about it until that clock starts ticking and they start to go, oh, wait a minute. I can't, I mean, I maybe either can't or don't want to do this in my seventies and eighties. What do I do now? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 still a, it's 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 a time honored path to building a, to being an authority and to selling authority is to have a business with other people. But thankfully, it's not the only way anymore. I, right. I mean, we can do this as soloists. One hundred percent right. And mm-hmm. to me, to me, that is that really is my focus. I feel like um, you know, even even when I've experimented with VAs, it's nice, but it's just not for me. It's just not and it's fine. It's, it's totally fine, but it's just not for me. And I, I like the, and it's probably, be, I can probably get away with that because I know how to create automation. Yeah. So, it's like, <laughs> right. Lucky you. Cause I, yeah. I need somebody to help me with that. Sure. Right. So finding, you know, so for folks who are listening to this, that are software developers, we all know the joke about automating yourself out of a job. It's like, but, but generally we think about it in an employment. It's usually, it's usually a joke that is made in an employed context where you have a job and you just automate it. And, mm-hmm. you know, probably everybody who's a software developer that's had an internal, you know, full-time employment has probably f- done this at one time or another, where they've just like dramatically reduced the amount of work they have to do by writing a small shell script. So it, I it's, love that. it's the best. It's hilarious. And it creates, a, it, it actually, it, it creates a fairly well-known uh, sort of moral dilemma, which is like, well, should I run the script or not? And then what do I do with the extra time? You know, like I did all the work they asked me to do, but I also promised to do 40 hours a week and now I'm just playing Unreal Tournament all day. So like what? Like, you know, anyway, so <laughs> like my work's done, but that wasn't the employment agreement. Anyway, you can mm-hmm. the point. The point is you can do this on your own business. So if you start looking for things that you can automate. So for me, it started off being just like administrative tasks that I didn't like doing. Uh, but as you so cutting costs basically and and time costs cutting time costs, uh, but you can keep you can build that kind of forward into the value chain I guess I would say so it's like you can build it into uh, a, a 
like a, you know, funnel basically is like an onboarding into a mailing list, into a, a low priced info product, into a course, into, you know, all, all building it forward into those sorts of things. And, bef- you know, I almost said before you know it. it, it feels like before you know it for me, but and honestly, it takes two or three years or that's how long it's taken me to kind of create an engine that allows me to just think about the stuff I want to think about, like the creation stuff, mm-hmm. and not have to worry about financing or funding the mission because that stuff pretty much takes care of itself. And I just pour, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like, you know, I'm trying to think of a non-disgusting metaphor, <laughs> like a, <laughs> picturing like a blender, you know, it's like, it's like you could manually make a, a pesto, let's say, like just with, with, um, you know, really good knife skills and all, you know, all of this stuff, you could do all of that, or you could spend some time and make a blender and then you just have to like put the ingredients in the blender and out comes the pesto. I'm sorry, I, I can't get Dan Aykroyd and his, his fish in the blender out of my head. <laughs> that's where I thought you were going. Basomatic. Basomatic. That's what I couldn't remember. Basomatic. That's right. That's right. Basomatic. That's what we want to create in our businesses. We need the basomatic. Basomatic. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, no, I, is it I, a I dessert t- topping or a floor wax? It's both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's like make your own. Where, where's your bassomatic? Because you can sell that, right? Or, 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 and again, it's not about selling. It's about having something worth selling. Because if you don't have something yes. worth selling, you haven't created any business value. You haven't created any value in the business itself. So that's another huge, you know, I mentioned it earlier, but it was a huge mind shift for me. Yeah. And it, again, it took me an embarrassingly long time to get there was that the money I made as an employee was not business value. It wasn't, it wasn't really revenue. The business made no money because it all went to my salary. Exactly. If I, if I could, if there was a clone of me and I wanted to pay them to do my job so, so you know, JS1 could, whatever, vacation on the beach, and JS2 did all the work, JS2 would be making all the money. And yeah, business you'd need owner, a trust JS1, fund. <laughs> yeah, I, there'd be, there was no real profit because it all went to salary but i did not you know but it was a really nice salary but i had created a job for myself that's the difference if you create a job for yourself there's the business there is no business you're just making a nice salary from this job that you created for yourself if if you want to fairly say that you have a business there's some kind of structure or automation or systems in place that that have value and someone would potentially buy or they're creating value value for you. Um, I, there's another classic one that for, for my audience that I, we haven't touched on, which is building a SaaS. You know, so if you're, mm-hmm. if you have a particular area of expertise and you consult about that area of expertise, it's pretty common that my more entrepreneurial students who do have a, a really clear target market, like they've got some really strong niche market where they're they're a member like they get it you know it could be data mm-hmm. scientists or or bioinformatics or um who knows like whatever it could be this weird niche kubernetes some some kubernetes tooling mocking out a, a fake back end for so you can build a front end against a, a stubbed out api like all these really specific things that could be that i you know i i know of people who have created a traditional SaaS model around that where they've got their expertise, but then they build this, mm-hmm. you know, monthly recurring service, software as a service kind of thing. So maybe there's a way 
for you, dear listener, if you are in the software space anyway, to figure out a way to sell your service as software. So like an amazing, like Canva is an amazing example. I don't know this, but I bet you Canva was started by a frustrated designer who was like, I'm going to take my design skills. It has to be. It has to be. Right. It has to be. I'm going to, I'm, I've been doing all of these, I keep doing these social media, you know, these Facebook graphics for people. They're paying, they, and nobody wants to pay for them. They pay me 50 bucks for this graphic. Well, guess what? Maybe that person, that designer, either had some software skills or got a developer to just like sell these things. Like, here, make your own. Here's how to make your own. Here's how to make mm-hmm. your own. And then like grew yep. and grew and grew and grew. Uh, I know another person who was, who, who taught herself photography and with just with her iphone she was a designer but but she taught herself photography just with an iphone and created a stock photography website where all the images looked good together so so Uh, there was a feel a look and feel yes yes a very strong sort of editorial eye and it was oriented for uh, a buyer that was sort of like a female online entrepreneur type of thing so it was like if that's got value you so much time we waste looking through unrelated photographs right so if you if you're like a female entrepreneur she basically is like i'm going to do stock photography for like a niche of a niche you know a demographic Mm -hmm. of a subset you know and and just charge a monthly fee for like unlimited access to use this photography on your website and this is basically just it's just another stock photography site but you don't have to waste hours like you know no matter what image you pick it's going to look right. Yeah. You never, it's like pre-designed. Yep. Oh, yeah. 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 I, that model needs to exist in a lot of other niches. Right. It's a good I'd one. I'd sign up for that. Right. So, you know, so just as, just to throw out a few examples there, like you can create a software version of your service. Is it going to be as good as you like painstakingly, you know, going over their branding and, you know, no, no, it's not. But it scales like crazy, and it's it's a saleable asset, uh, whether or not you want to sell, which is a sign that you're creating business value, not just increasing your salary. Yeah, it, I mean, it all comes back to the mindset. It's and I, you know, I call it the freelancer mindset, which is I'm just renting myself out by the hour, by the day, by the month, with whatever mm-hmm. that is, versus I am building a business. And mm-hmm. it's, it's just a mindset shift. And it's yeah. not even, I mean, it is a big one, but it's a relatively easy one to make. Once you, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and it does, but it can take a while to see it. So I guess, yeah. what, you know, so what are recommendations? Like, where would you look in someone's business for opportunities that are sort of low hanging fruit, do you think? Well, I, you know, I, I believe in, doing what's in your genius zone. So what I try to do is find out what are they really, really good at? And then think about and brainstorm usually about all the different ways that you could leverage that. So um, some people are really good at speaking. So what that would tell me is, all right, so let's create something that has, uh, you know, kind of a 360 feel about it. You need to be on video. You need to be talking. They need to see you. And so what does that look like? What kind of products can you create with video? Or or somebody else is really good at training, which is sort of similar to speaking. Speaking is a little bit different. Um, Mm -hmm. Training is deeper. And so we'd look at what could we create there? If somebody is really a good writer and loves to write, okay, 
All right. It's book time um, or it's it's some kind of content time. It's what can they do naturally that they enjoy that is going to leverage what they've already created. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So like what's where are your unfair advantages or your superpowers? And then it's like, okay, how can I use these to create business value? Um, So if if we're going to take that a step further, I think I would say once you know what those things are, then it's like. It's like, where can you find examples or maybe you don't need, maybe you, maybe it's obvious, but if it's not obvious, you could find examples of someone using that superpower to create these business assets or systems. Like, what is it? Is Mm -hmm. it, you know, for, for my folks, it's almost always going to be coding. It's like, geez, I've got a free software developer, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like somebody who loves coding. Believe me, it's way more fun working on your own stuff than it is working on somebody else's. So even as much as you might like coding for money for someone else, it's way more fun coding your own stuff. I think so, that's true in most everything that we do. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Yeah. I suppose. So, uh, you know, like, like, you know, cutting, you know, automating systems, plugging things together, um, kind of like trying to automate yourself out of a job, looking for every place where you could automate something. Um, there's, there's certainly some diminishing returns at a certain point, but if you haven't really thought about this, uh, taking some time to do so, I think is worthwhile. And then saying, okay, what's the stuff I can't automate? I haven't been able to automate, but I still don't like doing, you know? So like maybe it's something that you don't need to do anymore. Maybe just figure Mm -hmm. out a different way to do it. Or maybe Mm -hmm. it's not really producing any results anyway. And you look back and you, geez, I've been, I don't know, posting on Instagram for two years and I haven't seen a single lead from it as far as I know. Maybe just stop. It's hard to automate Instagram. Mm -hmm. So uh, whatever the case may be, you know, it could be, or, or just like flying around and speaking. That's another thing I killed at one point. Um, so it's like, yeah, you know, maybe don't do those things anymore and come up with a suitable replacement that maybe isn't as good or as high quality or as amazing or whatever, but you can create a, something that's much lower cost to you, easier to automate or easier to systematize, uh, that has 80% of the positive outcome, right. but, you can do it forever and ever and ever uh, instead of, you know, it's more profitable in the sense that it's less effort for you to produce almost as much outcome. Uh, yeah. So looking around at those things and then obviously going down the list of stuff that we've already talked about. And it's like, huh, do I have a proprietary framework that I could turn into um you know, a tool that people pay to have access to, or do I have a training process that I've been doing in person that I could turn into videos or uh, perhaps train the trainer types of stuff, you know, or sell the workbooks independently for a hundred bucks a pop. Um, Yeah. I mean, there's just, if once you start looking for these things and accept the idea that if you have been doing like maybe like this parachute consulting thing where it seems like every situation that you parachute into is different and there's no commonalities and only you and your unique perspective in real time can solve this problem. I'm like, I, I just tend not to believe that. I think that if you think about it, there are, there is some low hanging fruit, 80, 20 rule where you can do certain things to package up in a different way that isn't as good as your one-on-one attention, but can be priced so much lower that more people would have access to it and still get benefit from it. Well, two things on that. First of all, is I think we tend to think that there is 100% value and we're delivering it ourselves and 0% value 
otherwise. <laughs> and that, and to your exactly. point, it could be 80%. So there's still value. It's not zero. And, exactly. And yes. that gives you something to figure out how to work with and, um, and how to price. Um, and I, then I think the other question around this is when you want to leverage if you've only been doing one-to-one services, you usually have to think differently about how, who and how you're going to attract new people into your orbit. So you might be able to, I have lots of clients that make a living on you know three to five clients a year. Well, yep. if all of a sudden you create something leveraged, what happens with that, right? All of a sudden you can't have three or five people you need, or 10, you need... 50, you need 100, you need 500. So you need to also be thinking about how can I start to attract a different sort of audience? That's why I said it's really about your business and revenue model because you may be shifting over time. It's not typically a huge pivot, but you're shifting over time trying to attract a potentially larger audience with a lower level of need. Yeah, exactly. Right. You're going. You're not going mass market, but you're going more mass market yes. than yeah. you were. And that's a real mindset shift for people who are used to just a handful of clients every year. Yeah. Here's the blocker for for my folks, especially if they've been billing by the hour, is they, let's say you're billing yourself out normally at 200 bucks an hour and you're doing maybe 30 hours a week billable. For me to come in and say, okay, now I want you to spend 200 hours to create a thing. They're like, well, that's like $40,000 or whatever it is. You know, like, geez, like I'd rather have the money. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, but you're not creating an asset. You're not creating an annuity. You're not creating an engine that's going to continue to work when you're sleeping. So like, I get that. I get, but it's a really, it can be really hard for people to be like, because they, they even think going on vacation is costing them 200 bucks an hour. Like everything that, that is not yeah. billable feels like them losing 200 bucks an hour. Yeah. So, you know, part of my, part of the, the trap of hourly billing. So it can be a giant like uh, leap of faith and, you know, I probably wouldn't start off with something that was going to take you, whatever I said, 200 hours uh, to do. So I'd probably start off with something that was a little bit, you know, you could validate much more easily. Uh, start off with a PDF, a small book, uh, something that mm-hmm. isn't going to take you a million years to do. And, Bite-sized. Right. It, but just imagine, to your point about changing the mindset, imagine if you were a designer who was used to being basically freelance and was going to shift to create something like canva like what a dramatic shift Mm -hmm. mindset wise or a designer who was like you know doing websites for you know manually designing and creating websites for people and then was like notice that geez it's really hard to find images even on these free sites like unsplash the images don't match each other like it's really hard it's annoying so i'm going to start a little i'm going to start shooting my own photos instead of stock photography then it's like boy i wonder if other people would want these so it is a pretty dramatic shift in terms of yeah, your business and revenue model and like the kind of the kind of people who I mean, you, you go from at least in these two situations, you go from clients to customers, which is huge, a huge shift. Yes, complete. It's a it's a 180. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, do you feel like we've given people, you know, yeah, some things to think about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the Winston Churchill warning about, you know, just go one step out, but that's that's enough. It's yeah. the, and it's I know we we always talk a lot about mindset, but it's particularly important here. It's you just need to start, we all do, thinking about our business as a business, even if you're not going to sell it or you're not going to sell parts of it, but what are you, what value are you creating that you can sell that isn't strictly your time? Yeah. 
Yeah, you want it to have a long, fat tail so that you can move yes. on to your next big thing. Yeah. I picture like <laughs> like one of those beavers with that giant, like flat <laughs> tail, you know, like you could put a bunch of other animals on that tail. That's what you want. <laughs> yeah. Ride the tail. Exactly. Ride the tail. Cool. All right. That's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye.